This is a show about individual experience and personal identity. There may be times when folks use identifying words or phrases that don't feel right to you. That's part of what we're exploring here. Please listen with an open heart. And as always, I welcome your polite, engaged feedback. And I encourage you to continue the conversation in your own life and with your own community. Welcome to Query. Hey, Queeros, we will be back with new episodes soon. In the meantime, please enjoy this Best Of featuring Melinda Lowe, Betty Who, and Brian Michael Smith. Hey, Queeros, if you want to keep your favorite show on the air, on the air, I said this last time too, you go to patreon.com slash heyqueeros and support the show. Like Robin Moxley and Beck, Leslie Goditis, Chantel McClellan, Francine Balbina, Trisha Thalmer, Ethan Peterson, Paula Vavadowski, Rachel McIntyre, Caitlin, Stacy, Lavon Sawake, Tanya Josek, Brittany Carlson, Kevin Fry Pickles G, Jackson Carr, Chloe Vicker, Audrey Rohr, Rower, Carrie Boland, Bobby Dahmer, Morgan Friday, Katie Gagliardo, Jessica Lustig, Liesel Jensen, Danny Alcorn, Brenda Esposito, Jennifer Grind, Grindy, Jennifer, let me know, Fiona, Eliza Dornbush, Mara Barra, Catherine Michaels, Amy A., Jen Graf Perkins, and B. Aaron Talbot. Y'all are the best. This is how I am first familiar with you. Um, when you were a writer in the early 2000s, can you talk a little bit about the kind of writing that you did at that time? Yeah, I was an entertainment reporter focusing yes, on yes, lesbian were. entertainment because so. Um, I worked for After Ellen, which uh, back then it, it, my friend started it in her like home office. Sarah Warren. Uh, Sarah Warren. <laughs> my friend Sarah Warren started it in her home office, and I had just dropped out of grad school to be a freelance writer. So Sarah called me and was like, "You just dropped out of grad school to be a freelance writer. Do you want to write an article for my website?" That basically no one read at the time, right? It was like brand new. So well, I not nobody <laughs> somewhere out there. Was, Cameron Esposito was reading. Okay, yes, in two thousand like two or two thousand three, yes. the yes. dawn of the internet. Yes, um, yeah. So I wrote an article about Ellen DeGeneres because uh, it, was, it was for After Ellen, and back then it was like the reason we called it After Ellen is because After Ellen came out, like TV and entertainment really changed for lesbians and bisexual women. So. That's what I did. I I never expected to be an entertainment reporter writing about lesbians. Like, this is not like I didn't grow up thinking I'm going to do that. Right. (laughs) Right. And I also just want to say a couple other things here. I am not totally up on, like, the current situation, but that site eventually had a big sad because it got bought by... A large media company and for a while um my friend trish bendix was editing it and then mm-hmm. and then it got bought by then it was like bought i think that was like during the mtv era yeah M- and, mtv bought it in 2006 and yes. that's when i became managing editor and i was part of hiring trish oh which my god was great yeah <laughs> and um so amazing it, who i knew in chicago was, at the time yes yes she was a music uh re- reporter at mm-hmm. the time yeah so 
we had a really good run with After Ellen in the early years. MTV put um, gave us some support, you know, and some legitimacy because no one believes that a lesbian website is real. Right. But if MTV buys you, then you're like, okay. So then yes. we were able to speak to more celebrities, basically, yes. is what happened. Yeah. Um, but then MTV eventually, it didn't work out forever. I mean, the site was sold a couple of times. I left in 2008. And then the site went on, but it was sold a couple of times. And now it's run by people who do not, do not share the vision. Do not share that my Sarah Warren and I did. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. it's not the same anymore. Like I I directly do not recommend visiting after Ellen anymore. Yes. Yeah. I'm, it eventually Yeah, go, sorry, go ahead. Please put no, it. I was just gonna say it's it's really sad because it was a really kind of groundbreaking site in its day. And I think that it has really become tarnished by what it has become, frankly. Yeah. You know, there, there, eventually it got into the hands of some folks that have some strong anti-trans sentiment. And that just sucks. You know, for me, I like, I just echo, I mean, I can't imagine how much more you might feel this way or whatever, but just as a reader, you know, I, when you, when the site was started, I mean, this is why I know Sarah's name. Like when the site was started, <laughs> I was, um... I was at a college where I couldn't come out. Um, and also I couldn't have cable, you know, cause I was like lived on campus and you couldn't have a cable package. Um, so you got like the TV shows that the, the college purchased, you know, um, which were mm -hmm. like, uh, whatever it was like ESPN and then like <laughs> ABC or whatever it was. Um, and Netflix started when I was, uh, I think, a junior. So at that point, you could like mail away for videos, which felt like a oh, little yes. bit more accessible because I didn't have to go in anywhere. What I was trying to, you know, maintain, not I was closeted. So like, it's not <laughs> right. like I was going to walk in somewhere and like rent something. So could like my girlfriend and I would order these videos, you know, off of like her Netflix account. I I always say like, at the time, also, there were like four lesbian movies. I'm sure if we could yes. find those DVDs and like fingerprint them, we could create <laughs> a, a spreadsheet that the government should not have access to. Because I think like every <laughs> lesbian was just renting and then returning the same four videos. Right. Um, but, you know, I say all this to say, like when I found After Ellen, it, it really made such a huge difference to me because I, could, I wasn't even able to watch the things that you all were reporting on. So really like my framing for like lesbian culture and queer culture was like your descriptions. <laughs> like it's like, you know, and then like maybe like a still, you know, like a, a still. It was what, so hard to get yeah. those stills back then. And it, it, I mean, obviously you can Google anything now, but it's so interesting to think back to those times. And like we had small photos uploaded yeah. like they, you know they were tiny yeah. well <laughs> i just want to thank you you know it made such a huge difference in my life oh. being able to read that reporting and like feel like a normal person or like there was something going on that i didn't yet know about from firsthand experience but like that might be waiting for me and you know i mean it was really life-saving stuff and that is why it's so sad that like that's not really a site that like I can talk about anymore as a place I, it, it's not a place I visit. I don't go there. I don't read what they have to say. Um, uh, but I, I did read what you wrote. I wrote what Sarah wrote and it, it made a huge difference in my life. 
Oh, that's so wonderful to hear. Thank you for sharing that. It's it's really amazing to connect with people who read it back in the day. You know, <laughs> it was a different time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what was like what was that like for you? Did you have a larger queer community? What what was your life like at the time that you were writing that stuff? Well, I had just dropped out of grad school. Like what I were you said, in grad school so, for? Um, I was going to get a PhD in cultural anthropology. Okay, well, there, it's, that's, yeah. uh, that actually I, well, is what you kind of did. So there I, you go. It, it really is because my master's research was actually on the X-Files. Oh my and God, yeah. I loved the X-Files. I, I totally turned my X-File fanishness into a research project funded by the Mellon Foundation. It's ridiculous. Amazing. It's It was the peak of my graduate school experience, and there was nowhere to go but down and out of there. So <laughs> I, I left, and I was living in San Francisco um, with no money because I was a grad school dropout trying to be a queer entertainment freelance writer. Like, there's no money in this. But I had a really—I almost instantly found a really wonderful network of friends in San Francisco, I had like one connection to a high school friend whom I'm not in touch with anymore, but she was in San Francisco then. And I met her friends. I met her girlfriend and I'm still really good friends with her girlfriend. I mean, they broke up. <laughs> it's like, I'm not friends with my high school friend anymore, but I'm still friends with her ex. So well, it's classic tale. Um, yes. Yes. So I was living in San Francisco when I was doing all this after all and stuff. So I was very much all gay all the time, you know, <laughs> in the early 2000s. <laughs> Amazing. And and wh yeah, where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in Colorado. Oh, where in Colorado? What city? Uh, right outside of Boulder. Oh, wow. Yeah. Are you familiar with the area? Sure. I mean, um, that's like kind of the opposite of growing up in Chicago. <laughs> Yes, in terms of like close. topography and hobbies and things that people might be interested <laughs> in. Um, yeah, that I didn't I didn't know that about you. What was that experience like? Did you how was it growing up there? I did not love it. I admit I didn't love it. I was uh, one of only like two or three Asian Americans in my school. Um, I was also one of two or three queer kids in my in my class. We all were friends with each other and we were not out. None of us knew anything about this until after high school. Um, it was it was kind of a an, an alienating experience growing up there. And I, I really left as soon as I could. Like when I I went to college at Wellesley um, in Massachusetts. And um, that's when I uh, almost immediately <laughs> began to come out. I mean, well, Wellesley's yeah. a women's college. It was it was very, you know everybody was coming out. I remember one weekend, all of my college <laughs> friends came out at the same time. It was, it was quite a weekend. Wow. Congrats on your college experience. That sounds pretty amazing. Yeah. But then I, then I wasn't ready to be out. So then I kind of was trying to be straight for the rest of my college experience. That was really stupid. I mean, I gave up like four years of being gay oh, at Wellesley. I'm so sorry. It was really a bad decision <laughs> on my part. Yeah. Well, you know, this is all okay. So I love your book, um, Last Night at the Telegraph Club, which you won the National Book Award for. I love I loved it. It's such a good book. And um, I will also say, like, I guess because it's young adult, like you said. Yeah, it's, young, it's been it's, published it's as young, young adult. adult. Yeah. In I, the UK, it's published as adult. 
So yeah, I would say a bit of a crossover. Yeah, I would say it feels very crossover e to me anyway. Like I think there's um, a real maturity for your characters, and then also like yeah, I mean even just their age. I don't know. I was I was realis- I was listening to the Price of Salt because it was the holidays recently, and that oh, is one yeah. way to celebrate the holidays uh, <laughs> is to re-listen to the Price of Salt. And um, you know the uh, Therese is like nineteen in that book, mm-hmm. so you know, and, and I don't think that's you know I think that's a an adult book. So anyway, I, I will just say yeah, not that there's anything wrong with young adult, but it does feel like a very adult young adult book. Like I felt like last night at the Telegraph Club, I was like, I felt very seen and. Um, related to the characters a lot, but it is interesting, um, based on what you just said, like where you chose to set the book, like the the mm-hmm. environment and then the world that the characters live in. So maybe you could talk about that for a second. Sure. So it started out as a short story, actually, that I wrote for a, an anthology of short fiction, queer YA historical short fiction. <laughs> it's a very right. specific category. The anthology was called All Out. And I wrote the story. I was inspired by two books that I'd been reading at the time, two nonfiction books, one called Rise of the Rocket Girls, which was about the women computers who worked at the Jet Propulsion Lab in the 1940s and 50s. And I was also reading a history book called Wide Open Town, which was about uh, the history of queer San Francisco. So these books have nothing to do with each other, but I was reading them kind of around the same time and they kind of mixed in my head. And I thought about, I came up with this character of Lily, who is this um, uh, 17-year-old high school student who is obsessed with rocket science (laughs) Um, because her aunt is a rocket scientist. or She's a computer who works at JPL, and she wants to be like her aunt. But also, she's starting to think she might be a lesbian. Um, And in Wide Open Town, there's, it's an extensive history of San Francisco's queer community. And there are several chapters on the bar scene in San Francisco. And you may not be aware of this. Well, maybe you are because you read the book, but (laughs) in the 40s and 50s, there were a ton of lesbian bars in San Francisco, like dozens (laughs) within a small area around North Beach, which is right next to Chinatown. So if you're familiar with the geography of San Francisco, it's like- I am. Yes. When I was just there, I was um, like, I just was there. I can't remember when this was. It must've been the fall because it was like a brief period of time where we thought for a moment that right. it might there be was wise like one to do like stand-up this, yeah. comedy. Like, I don't know why we <laughs> thought that, but but um, anyway, so I performed at Cobbs, which is very close, which is in North Beach. So I was walking through North Beach and, and Chinatown and, and had that experience in the fall. And then I came home. I mean, just in case you're wondering how much I was like, I can't believe I'm reading this book. So I like, had that experience. <laughs> I was walking around in those places. I came home. And um, I actually live in a community in Pasadena that was originally par- partially built to house folks who worked at JPL. So oh my God, I, amazing. Yeah, like it's a couple stops down the freeway from me, but um, I think actually more people live here than anywhere else, um, per, or at least at, at one point, more people lived here that worked there than anywhere else. Mm. So um I am so fascinated by JPL. I had like a, <laughs> a an awesome uh, query guest who helped land the rover. And all I can't, I, you oh. know, we all want COVID to be over for a million reasons. But one reason is because I was promised a special behind the scenes tour as soon as they are giving people tours again. I'm so, so jealous. I want to go I'm, on that tour. 
Come. You'll come down. <laughs> we'll go together. Okay. Okay. This is sometime awesome. in the future. We, that will happen. Excellent. Um, Excellent. But anyway, I feel like I was I was listening to your book and I was like, wait, what's the next detail here? Like every detail, I just felt like I had like um, some some understanding of or whatever. But but keep going, keep going. Talking about the bar scene, North oh, Beach, Chinatown. Yeah. This is what you were talking about. Yeah. So because I'm familiar with San Francisco, I lived there for like 15 years and I was just, I couldn't help but think like if this Chinese American girl Lily lived in Chinatown, she must have seen some lesbians going to some lesbian bars because it's literally across the street. Yeah. <laughs> and I felt like there had to be some kind of crossover. So that's what the story was about. Um, Lily discovering that lesbians exist. Um, and <laughs> which is a, which is a moment in the life of every young uh, queer person, right? So I uh, thought it was just a short story, uh, but then when I was talking about it with my agent, he said, "You know, this could be a novel." Um, and I realized he was right because there was so much more about Lily that I wanted to say. You know, she had much more of a story than was just in this short story. So then I decided to expand it into a novel. Um, which took a long time uh, because I had to do so much research into the 1950s. Like, I didn't really know that much about the 1950s. I could write the short story, um, which was, but that was about it. So I had to really dig in and learn all about that time. <laughs> yeah, and you don't fuck around because there's an amazing <laughs> postscript in the book about all the work that you did. And um, my wife, Katie, and I both read it. And that not only, we like, we certainly talked about the book, but we also we talked a lot about like this the the author's note, yeah, ama- yeah, that's what it, the author's note is like so incredible the the detail in there. <laughs> Thank um, you. I think it was job. basically my my graduate degree finally coming in useful. <laughs> I finally wrote something that was you know influenced by that <laughs> that training. Totally. So yeah. This is a this has nothing to do with what we're talking about, but I don't want to I would be remiss if I didn't mention it. Your hair looks amazing. Oh, really? I Thank think you. so. Yeah. We have really powerful hair together here. Like I know we do have really light. powerful hair. I know. It's yeah. I slept on it today. Sometimes, you know, you blow it out and then the next day you're like, "Oh, this is really working for me." And this yeah, this is my my slept it, on. It looks really good. How long have Thank has you. this been the hair you're doing? I have had short platinum hair since I was 20 years old and I'm 30. So, so talk to me about what happened right before you had short platinum hair. Um, it's funny. So I, in high school, my hair was quite long and it's, my hair's really curly also a kind of a dirty blonde natural color. And it just sort of got shorter and shorter, like senior year, it was to my shoulders. And then my freshman year of college, it was like, I had this weird short, like but very unflattering kind of haircut. And I was just trying to figure out, I, so I, I got short hair the first year of college. And then I just kept trying to figure hone in on my actual cut for it that really worked for me. It takes for sure. a while. <laughs> yes, I think I feel like you relate. Um, and then I, I sort of figured out that I was like, oh, I think I need to just like keep the more butch I went, the more cool I felt and the more like I felt like it was me. And I was like, oh, maybe I just shave. So I've had it. My whole underside of my hair is all shaved off now. And so back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. 
Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on. I think that happened maybe three, four years ago. And that's kind of been, I've been riding there for a little bit. And then what about the clothes that you're wearing? Because I feel like I've seen you in a femier thing. Am I nuts? Mm-hmm. No, this is this is sort of a... It's not new for me because I've been living at home with myself and outside of the public eye that people are perceiving me for the first time. And everybody's kind of been like, oh, you're doing, you're doing a little bit more of a dad thing. And I, it's, you know, it's definitely been a work in progress of kind of finding myself. And I think with taking, taking the time away from the world, all of us did for a couple of years, I've, I have been working on just sort of like looking around at my life going like, what do I really care about? What don't I care about? What feels like me? What have I been doing just because everybody else does? And I have never really thought that I had the right to do it differently. And clothing is one of those things that I've had a a real kind of renaissance moment with in the last, especially couple months, but last couple of years, I've been sorting through it just because I I'm six foot two. I'm really tall like tall for a person, not just tall for a woman. And so like my clothing body trauma from just like never fitting in both like literally fitting into clothes and also sort of like, you know, systematically being like the tallest person in the back of the picture. And you're sort of like, it's like it becomes your identity in this sort of strange way. Um, And, and I've always wanted to be five foot nothing and 95 pounds because that's like what all of my idols in pop music have always been. I and so I've been you. like fighting <laughs> against the four. thing. I've always wanted yeah. to be See, two. of course, grass <laughs> is always greener. Um, but that's what I'm so saying. I, I feel like the first time I saw I feel like you were like wearing heels. And that like you were Yeah, maybe. I, for a while, possible? I loved, I, I love, absolutely. I love, I love a heel. I haven't worn a heel in like four, three years at this point. But I do, uh, I think being a very tall woman and continuing to wear heels is a very power, like it's a power move. And I really do like it. I love being like six foot seven in a room. And I'm like, yeah, look up to me. I will not, (laughs) I will not slouch to speak to you. You know what I mean? It's a real power move. I don't know what you mean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But actually that's not true. I've been on a stage and being on stages means that you're the tallest person in the room. So I've had that experience um, a million times. So wait, I want to ask you some other questions about this. So how is this changing also outside right now? Like I'm talking to you in your hotel room. Like, I don't know. Is this also changing in your public persona, what you're wearing? Yes. I am in a phase of experimenting right now. I think that I have realized what I definitely know is that I don't feel comfortable doing what I have been doing anymore. So now I'm going, okay, well, how do I want to do it then? And I think the biggest thing that I have yet to solve is what I want to wear on stage. I think it's a real battle for me still. I think in, in the world, when I'm doing press, I just, I feel so comfortable 
wearing clothes that feel like they actually fit me, which turns out is men's clothes because they're made for taller people. Literally, that's like as simple as it was. I was like, what if I just wore what looked like it was looked good on my body? And the second I unlocked that, I was like, oh, I only shop at men's. I don't want to see a woman. I want a suit. It has to be a men's suit. I don't want a women's cut of a suit to be within a hundred feet of me. Like I am so finding something and it's making me feel really powerful. And also I think so much of for better and for worse, I'm someone who likes to be perceived by the world at large. And and my perception of myself has come through so much of the way that people speak to me about me. And so I had to work through a lot of that during quarantine. I didn't have anybody to perceive me. So I was like, oh, this really has to be about me and what I want and how I feel, which is kind of where all of these questions and conversations came from. And now that I'm going back out into the world, very tentatively and quite vulnerably being like, I don't know if I figured it out yet, but this is, I think the new thing that I'm doing that makes me feel good about myself and really like proud of myself. How do you guys feel? You know, the way that I have been held and sort of like perceived by everyone around me being like, this is such a cool vibe for you. I'm like, oh, great. Okay. If you guys are like, nobody else, nobody, nobody cares. No one has like hateful thoughts about it. We're all safe here. Like, I guess I'm just going to do what feels really good and makes me feel cool and powerful and hot. You know, I think that's all you want to feel. I mean, this is, you know, I I think about this a lot, which is why I'm asking you about it. And I think that anybody who's listening who, you know, we have really specific jobs, but the translation here is like every queer that I talk to that doesn't really understand, that has like a harder time figuring out formal wear or like work wear, Mm, because I really think that those things are things that have like... Heavily here is gendered, the women's heavily, version here exactly, is the they men's have heavily version. gendered expectations yes. like like on the weekend jeans like even that the cut is so different but they're yes. all jeans like it's like yes, and yes then, i do you know, i know exactly what you mean so then, i love but, having this conversation with you i'm so happy to be talking about yeah this. but like to a wedding it's like there's yeah. not even that level of overlap that's like yeah. we wear t-shirts and jeans on the weekend you know it's like yeah to a wedding to to uh to give a presentation at your job you know and i think this is something that a lot of people have to navigate because then there are expectations around like professionalism and like taking the job seriously and yeah just the the we are not the only people who are looked at we it's like more acute in yeah. that like there are specific times and places where i'm very aware that that's what's going to happen but it just i find that this yeah. is like, a pretty queer experience because then the the other side of it is also the person that I hear from so much that's like well I don't read as queer so like then that has its own yeah of of challenges um but yeah for me I'm constantly yes both and um but I'm I feel like I'm constantly navigating stage where I'm like doing something right now Mm. that I have not done previously and I'm curious to see how long I stick with it where I'm wearing like um sort of I guess sort of boot cut jeans would be what they are with like a t-shirt tucked in and Mm. then cowboy boots with like a more aggressive heel and it's like I think in my mind cool vibe but yeah yeah I think in my mind it's like dazed and confused is what I is what I hope sure that it looks totally although I'm with you I don't I'm I am a not real thin person so um but I'm I'm very thin. I'm just yeah. like rail thin, so clothes don't drape on me. They sort of like yeah. they sort of frame my bod. And well, so- I I do a lot of I do really oversized for that 
because like, that's also the other thing is I think the shame of, of getting a fit that you like, because you're afraid of the size on it. Like that was something that I had to really come to terms with being like, okay, if I want something that fits me like tight, 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 I'm a large, if I want something that feels in a t-shirt, if I want something that looks like I'm sleeping in someone much bigger than me's t-shirt, which is kind of the look I need yeah. a 2XL minimum. And I'm like, I, I was, it spent so, I spent so long being like, well, I don't, I don't want to buy, you know, I would, I would buy a medium and then never wear the shirt because I was telling somebody that I was buying medium you know, or like it made me feel better or whatever it was. It's such a silly, arbitrary thing, but it, it did that kind of shame of having to size up live, did live somewhere in my subconscious. And so the second I was like, literally who cares? I just want to look cool. I just want to feel cool. I want to feel good about myself. And the second that I sort of arrived at that place, I was like, oh, like literally who cares? That's so interesting. I mean, I, I hear you. That makes so much sense for me. I do tend to want to wear things that at least on stage, maybe not so much in my, in my like, uh, civilian life, but on stage that are a little bit tight. Um, because I have large breasts that if I, if like the shirt, like Mm. hits the end of my boobs and comes down, I'll, I'll tell you who does an amazing job and who has like changed my perception of what can be worn in public is Billie Eilish because yeah, like her, the way that absolutely the way that t-shirts look on her, where, where, um, they obscure her figure to a degree that like, cause it's, I have that body. I have the the body that she does. And I think for me, gender wise, I, I feel like it like makes me look like I'm a, just a different size than I am. And it also, I know exactly what you mean more feminine than I want to look. So I have leaned toward, how do you feel about binders? If I may ask? Yeah, it's a great question. I don't bind. I don't, I, for a while I wore in my twenties, I wore that like very sleek and comfortable combination. That was like a sports bra with, do you remember those? Like those like in those tank tops that had a bra in them. <laughs> yeah, of course. Oh but yeah. Like, of but course. I would wear a tank top double with that, with that bra in it. And so I would like smash myself down as much as possible. I don't, for me personally, I actually like the definition of individual breasts, which I feel like that just kind of made everything look like it was like yeah. one sheet. And yeah. it's not like what I prefer. Maybe someday I would, I have thought about, and like taking some steps towards like maybe it's a breast reduction, but I also think there's other options which are just like like when I see my boobs, I honestly feel like this is just to me. It actually feels like it looks like pecs to me when I look cool. at my boobs. Like that's what it it's looks only, like. It's only it's just about your perception of yourself. That's all. That, yeah. That's all that really actually matters. Of it's course, so as you, you see as you see yourself, and I'm I'm trying to really work through this. I like I will binding for me is like a depends on the day situation. Like some days I feel the same way as you where I'm like, I want like a real bra to look like a real bra. And then other days I'm in a t-shirt and I'm like, I don't want to feel particularly, I want to look more masculine today. And I want to feel like that person today. And I, I'm such a Libra. I feel like that's a balance. Giving myself When's also the October 5th. Oh, mine's October 17th. Oh my October gosh. 5th. Okay. Look at us. See, Let this makes going. so much sense. Yeah. Um. Well, I'm so I'm trying to find my way to like, giving myself also the under the balance and space to be where I'm at the day that I'm there, as opposed to think that just because I bought a binder now I have to wear it every single day, everywhere that I go. And that's my identity now. And that's who I am. I think, 
I'm really trying to give myself a ton of space right now while I figure this part out. And, and I also know that I'm going to take some missteps and like, I think I'm also coming to Billy for me, same, very, very similar experience. And I love that you brought her up. I think that I, when I think about pop music and I think about performers who I look up to, their body is their vessel and it is the way that they tell the story that they want to tell on stage. And because I'm a dancer, I do feel like I relate to that and I dance a lot on stage. And so that's, that is a part of the thing that I do, but then it ties into your body being about your value, your value. And if you don't feel like you look good enough on stage and, and at my thinnest, at my fittest, I look at myself on stage and I still, all I do is critique myself, especially when I'm, and I have this thing where I think I should be naked on stage. Cause I think I look, I look better when I'm wearing less clothes. And now I'm trying to be like, well, what if I do it, do the opposite and just experiment with it and see how it feels. I'm like really trying to find my, my way, my way there. But I keep telling, I keep reminding myself, like every time I feel bad about myself or I'm having a moment in my body, I keep being like, nobody listens to my music because I'm thin. No one comes to my shows because I'm skinny. It's about the songs. My value in this world and in my career has nothing to do with my physical form. This is the body I'm in. I don't want to hate the reality of my life anymore. I've been, I spent so long being like wishing it was different and it's not, this is my body. How cool. It's fine. I'm fine here. And there will be times when I look at myself and I think it's 10 out of 10. I've been in the gym two hours a day, fucking seven days a week for six months. And I go, look at me, I earned this. And then there are times when I don't do that. One that, that time is right now. And that's, I think why I'm also having I'm having to think about it so much is because I'm not feeling like I'm in my best self physically. And so I'm like, I don't want my experience in the world to be about my physical body and perception. If I just take that off the table, what does that feel like? What does it look like? And for me dressing, you know, sometimes more masculinely, but especially like sort of in less stuff that makes me feel, it just makes me feel uncomfortable when I think about wearing like stuff that my side, you know, my side is popping out and I have a little muffin top thing. I'm like, uh, no matter how comfortable or hot people think that I look, what's happening in my head is me saying like, oh my God, how are people seeing my, am I uh, like, am I, do I look bad? Do I look fat? And I'm like, I don't want, I don't want to think about it. I want to be like, I know I look cool. When I wear a suit to an event, the number of women who come up to me and they're like, oh, I wish I was wearing what you're wearing. And I'm like, gals, anybody can, you can do whatever you want. That makes you feel good. And, and if that's wearing the tiniest mini skirt that make is like the hardest thing to work in, walk in on the planet, then I love that for you. But like giving yourself permission to wear something that makes you feel actually comfortable. is like, sounds like such a, now that I'm saying it at the end of this, like, you know, monologue, I'm just like, it sounds so stupid, but it's, and it sounds so easy, but it's not. And it's taken me a long oh, time. I'm yeah. still in it. I don't think it sounds easy or stupid. Um, I, I would also imagine that when did you, when, what age were you when you reached the height that you are now? 12, I, 12 years old. I've been six foot since I was 12. And I would imagine that people probably talk to you a lot about your body size and have for your entire life. And then especially like. It's the first thing people see when they meet me. It's like right. the number one, like that is how I come into the world and people go, whoa, you're tall. And I spent yes. literally the first 10 years of my career yes. actively making creative choices to try and not have that be the case when that is just the reality of my life. And now yes. I'm like, oh, I just have to, that has to be the thing now. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, and then I would also imagine that like, and I think that's true for, for like all women who are tall. And then I would add to that, that like 
when you're somebody who performs on stage, then people love to comment on like the discrepancy between their perception of you and like what you are when they first meet you. So I would imagine it's it's that even more heightened, you know, especially like the music industry, people want to talk about your look a lot. So um, I got to say, I mean, everything you're saying doesn't, it doesn't sound weird. It actually just sounds like, how could you not sort of internalize that? I think, yeah. I think it's really hard to receive a ton of feedback around something and um, not like be affected by that. I mean, I think that's, I think that's what, that's like what people are talking about when they're talking about microaggressions. Um, you know, yeah. the, I was just, I just the other night I was, I was like, I had this audition that my, my wife like read the script with me and then I got a call back and like was meeting with the producers and I, I got, I like got in the room and well, the zoom room and was just like, Oh, this is going terribly. <laughs> and after the, after the call, I like went and sat down next to my wife and I was like, that like felt like it went so badly. And my wife was like, you know, that script was like, not for you. Right. And I was like, mm. what? And she was like, it was like a stereotype of like, a. I, there was like, I like knew people involved in the project and usually I can sniff this out, but I don't know how I like missed it, but it was, it was like the punchlines that this person was supposed to be hitting. It was like a butch lesbian, but the punchlines were like, calling somebody a bitch or like talking about having a period or like trying to totally like, fuck everybody. And it was just like, well, it was yeah. like this person that I'm not like, like, I'm so glad that like Leah Delaria exists and she's a little too old for the particular role, but like this role was meant for Leah, who's so mm-hmm. good at what she yeah. does, at but that, like, yeah. I'm not, that person and sometimes of I course. try to be and um well and that's like a huge maybe learning lesson I think every person especially in, in the creative business but in so many in so many worlds when when you miss an opportunity or something it's easy to be like to linger for it especially as an actor and it's like all you do is get turned down you know it's like I can't tell you how many auditions I've been out on in the last four years well sent in for because now we don't go out on auditions anymore and I, I like I haven't booked a thing you know I've been in one movie I've taken probably 250 auditions. You know what I mean? It's like, that's not a great ratio. That's out. That's, you know, that's, you, you get really used to being rejected and it can be really defeating. And I think that understanding, having some kind of fundamental belief that the thing that will be right for you isn't any of these things is really hard to believe when you have yet to find the thing that is right for you. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, well yeah. said. If you're like anybody else from your like you know not so great big town, you're probably like great in your town, and then you get to college, and it's like you are in the mix with these athletes who are better than you because they've they've mastered it a little bit more. So it's like going from you know I felt like I went back to kindergarten in some ways um, when it came down to 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 learning. Like I changed my whole technique because I'm like something's not right here. I'm, I'm stronger than I've ever been, and I'm not throwing any further than than I was, you know, sophomore year or whatever in, in high school or sort of so. And so having to have the mental fortitude to like deal with that feeling of something that is usually easy being more difficult and then working through that and like a lot of trial and error and then competing, you know, like we're, we're trying to win championships and I'm competing on top of new classes, 
new rigor in, in the classroom. And then I had a partial scholarship for the first couple of years. Then I got a full scholarship, hmm. you know, so then also having to work to, you know, how do I manage, you know, paying right. bills and stuff like that and getting used to all that. So it was a lot. And then uh, for me, about halfway through sophomore years, like, and then also what is your gender? Right. <laughs> so, all I right. Mean, that. Heavens to Betsy. So wait, talk to me about what you were just saying. So this is in understanding that you have yourself starting in college, you were on a track scholarship. Would this have affected your ability to continue having that scholarship? No, like this yeah. knowledge about yourself? Well, not even just the knowledge. Um, it was more so what can I do about it? Because mm-hmm. you know this was fall of 2002. And I just kind of, I had went through a period in late high school where I'm like, I'm like, I I don't something. I have, I've always had this dissonance and, you know, it's getting worse when I was in like middle school and high school. And like, I kind of found some balance, but I'm like, I don't know. I'm struggling. And my mom was like, well, maybe you're struggling so much because you never really tried to be a girl. Like you've always been fighting against and you never really like tried it. And I'm like, that's true. I never really tried. Like I've never really leaned into like, you know, being a girl, but maybe I should, uh, okay, I'll try it. So I tried to be more feminine, try to dress more feminine, try to like pretend that, you know, when I play football, I just play football and it's just this other little bubble and everything else is what matters. Um, and, you know, just trying to separate myself from, you know, who I was when I was really young and, you know, who I am when I play football. It's just, I'm, I'm just I'm just I'm just this girl. And so when I, it was kind of tricky in high school to do that because I it didn't quite feel right. But I'm like, OK, at least when I get to college, nobody knows my past. Nobody is going to, you know, interact with me, you know, as if I, I I'm a masculine person. And I can start from scratch. I have this whole new, new uh, identity and like, it should be fine. So freshman year, I came in like trying to be as girly as possible. But it was like, no matter what I did, people would always go, ah, you're such a guy. Oh, you remind me of my brother. And I'm like, I'm trying not to. So it was really, it was really frustrating because I'm like, why am I doing all this? You know? So I feel like about sophomore year, I'm just, it was really much like, why am I doing this? When does it stop? You know, when do I just be, when am I able to be able to just, do what my friends are doing right now, which is just outside. They're playing with each other. They're running around and they're interacting with each other in a, in a way that's just natural. And like, I feel like I'm always pretending. I always feel like I'm dressed up. I cannot wait to get away from everybody so I can go to my room, be by myself and just dress how I want to dress and be who I want to be. It's like, why am I always trying to escape life? My life, I keep trying to escape my life and I hate it. And I, and I don't know what to do. I'm like, well, okay, well, maybe this ends when, you know, I get married and I have kids. I'm like, no, because one day my husband's going to come home is going to find me like, wearing his clothes and his underwear. And I'm going to try to explain that to him and the kids and it never goes away. So I'm like, okay, well maybe, you know, when I'm a woman, I was like, and it just really dawned on me at that moment. It's like, that's where I'm going. Like, I think I was 19 and it was like, I had been spending all this time trying to be a girl. I never really imagined like womanhood and like being a woman. I tried to picture myself as like a 30 year old woman. I realized that's, that's the inevitable. And it felt so foreign to me, you know, and like, just, I'm like, how, and I just, I, I never felt lost like that before. I never felt like I never had a future. I didn't necessarily feel um, like it was like a suicidal ideation. Like I just want to leave the earth kind of feeling. But it was just like, I, what's going to happen to me? I don't, I don't have a, I don't, that can't be my future, but I don't know what can be. And uh, I just, I felt like I was like praying. I was like asking, I'm like, there has to be a way, there has to be a way. And it was just like a very quiet sort of like, there is. And I was like, and it's like, you know, what you don't allow yourself to ever think about. It's like, you know, you've seen, 
you know, my ref, point of reference at that point was like Jerry Springer. It's like, there are people who live lives, they, they change over and there's the two words, sex change, it's a thing. But, you know, I was like, I don't know, God and da, da, da. I was like, let me just, just look into it. I never, I've never entertained it. I've never allowed myself to entertain it. And so I, I got up, I went to my uh, computer and I asked Jeeves, like, sex change, <laughs> female to male, like, is that a thing? And I came across um, a couple of little blogs, but I came across Jameson Green's website. It was like his biography, kind of like promoting his book. And it just had like, you know, bits about how he grew up, the picture of him when he's a little, little, little kid, the picture of him when he's like an awkward teen, a picture of him when he was like a, you know, uh, awkward, like older lesbian woman. And then a picture of him after he started transitioning. And it was like, just this man. And I was like, are you kidding me? And it was like, you know, the scales fell off your eyes. I was just like, my heart opened up. I just felt like so much lightness and relief. Like, finally, like, it's not just me. There's other people like me and I have a path forward. And I had a lot of internal stuff to get through about like, you know, asking, is this for me? Is this what God wants for my life? Is my parents, how am I going to navigate it? But in my heart, like it just unlocks. Like I knew, I knew I was going to do it. It was just, how am I going to do this? And then how am I going to do this as a college athlete on a scholarship for a women's track team? You know, I, I didn't have the answer at that day, but I slowly started to, look into it. And I just kind of got to a place where by my last year, it was like the only place I really existed, you know, as, as a female was when I would have to compete, which was really difficult because I was getting really good. And, you know, like it was almost to a place where we could start training for uh, the China Olympics. It was like, I don't, I can't, I can't do this. Like I'm looking wow. for, like, you know, wow. I can't take hormones. I can't do any surgeries or anything like that right now. And it's like, that's the choice I have to make. Either I'm going to be my true self or I'm going to keep this up. It's like, I, I, I can't go on like this. Wow. 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 So you were like really good. You're, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, thank you for telling me all that. I mean, that's, that's, uh, it's amazing. I mean, and listeners to the, the show will, will maybe not be surprised by this, but like, so there, there's two things I feel when, when you're saying that and, and I'm just curious, like human to human, if we can talk about it, like the first thing I feel is like, I feel so happy for you. That's the first thing I feel. I feel like I'm so glad that like something, you know, made sense for you and you found it. And like, especially at that time that you're talking about, I mean, to like not have context and not have community and just, um, and somehow find this information and, and be able to take steps in in the time that like made sense um i like i think that's so amazing and then i guess my other question is like all of those feelings that like you were not able to be free and running around outside like have those lifted for you because i feel i think i feel for me i feel some like those things haven't totally lifted for me in my life even as i'm like more comfortable with myself than I've ever been. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes I get a little sad thinking that I will maybe never have that like finish line. And I don't even know if you're saying you did because you were you're talking about before and like wanting to be those other folks. I mean, what is it like for you today? Do you feel at ease like, and, and in total alignment and comfy? Yeah, the like the it's interesting because I'm very comfortable in my life right now in a lot of ways that I take for granted. Like I don't, I don't feel it unless I like, like sit down and be like, Hey, you used to wish for this. And you're like, mm. Right. 
I did. So even though some, there's some, there's, there's still some stresses that I'm experiencing in my life. And there's still like some, some, some frustrations that may come up based on a certain situation where I'm like, oh, you know, like family planning, it's like, it's not going to be as simple, you know, for me, but I've, I'm around a lot of people who like, it's not simple for them either. There's been this right. sort of shedding of a sense of belief or feeling that a lot of what is challenging in my life is specifically because of my trans experience. And mm. some of it isn't, some of it is That's really, beautiful. Like, it's just, I thought it was my trans. One of the things that first opened me up to that, I came across this book. I think it was, oh man. Oh, I can't remember the title. I, I think hopefully I will, but it was basically about a, a, a man who became a single father unexpectedly and he's raising his, his, his son. And he's uh, just thinking about like, he'll never be as much of a man. He's just not, he's just not as, as manly as his dad. And like so many of the thoughts that this man was having is exactly what I was thinking, but I was thinking it because of my trans experience. And I just realized that's the universal, like adult man experience where they just don't quite feel. And I was like, Oh, that made me more connected than I even thought, you know, regardless of like body parts. So that sort of helped early on. And then that permeates my present where I just realized again, there are things that I, I'm struggling with because of my trans experience. There's things that are coming up in terms of what's being legislated out and taken away from us that it's like, hey, that is making me uncomfortable. And it's because I'm trans. I'm reading about what's happening to trans athletes now and the bands and all this kind of stuff. It's like that. I've, I'm feeling very uncomfortable. And it, it hurts me in a way because of, I have trans experience and it resonates with me. But in terms of other life to day to day, day to day things, it's like, no, not really. Um, but it reminded me um, when I just went back to Kent to do the keynote address at their uh, lavender graduation, which is like, what? It, like I, when I was in school, I felt like we had like a, a, a GSA. It was like a small GSA. And like in the time that since I graduated in 2005, they have a whole LGBT center. They mm. were on their like 11th uh, G, uh, lavender graduation. There was 88 out, you know, uh, LGBT plus students. Amazing. Their graduations with their family and their like significant others supporting them. Like, so I was like, wow, so that was incredible. But like just to be back in that space reminded me viscerally in a way I hadn't felt before what I felt like when I wasn't in fully embodied. Yeah. When there was just that long space and I had to live so much in the future to be comfortable with the present. Well, when I do you know, reach this milestone when I am, you know, who I am, when my face looks like this and when I can just walk through the world and people, you know, use the right pronouns, then I'll feel. So there, and like what being back in that space reminded me of how I felt during that time. And there was a lot of, I think the discomfort that you you're experiencing now, the degree of it was a lot sharper during that period. And then when I got out of college and I went uh, back home, I still felt some, but the degree had lessened. And then when I was in New York, I felt some, but the degree had lessened. And then now it's like, I, it's still, there's still things. Things are going to yeah. come up that just, but it's more situational as opposed to a constant. 